chat GPT can do a lot of things. Like if you feed it some new maths, I don't think it's like particularly good at that. <gasps> Dimitri was found dead in his office. <laughs> oh, I've been like good at maths and found everything really easy so far. I think, yeah, that can definitely only get you so far. Without this hard work, you can't really make up for it in other ways. first episode of the Tangent Territory podcast. I am honoured to have Dimitri Whitmore with me today to talk about maths, common misconceptions about maths, and more. Dimitri is a PhD student in Cambridge working on number theory. He has secured extremely high firsts in every year of his studies and was described as the strongest maths student at his college in the last five years. As a result of his outstanding academic achievements, he's won numerous prizes. Most recently, he was awarded the top grade of the Smith Knight and Raleigh Knight Prize for his essay entitled The Taylor Wiles Method for Reductive Groups. So over the years, I've noticed that there are a lot of misconceptions about maths. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some written down here and I'd like to go through some of them with you. Yeah, sure. So um, the first one is that if a person excels in school and competitive mathematics, Mm -hmm. then they will automatically excel in undergrad and research mathematics. Mm. So I'd say for this one that like the feel of university maths, both in undergrad and sort of research level, it's very different to school maths and even competition maths. In sort of undergraduate maths, if you've only sort of done school maths before, there is this large emphasis on being able to prove things and work rigorously in order to get the sort of correct intuitions about various sort of mathematical concepts that in school it's really just a more like formulaic. And trying to yeah, adapt to like that level of rigor and often also a sort of greater deal of abstraction can be like quite difficult for like many people. In order to be successful in like undergraduate maths, it does take like a lot of hard work and like to get like to grips with like the definitions and proving theorems in a way that yeah you don't really need to in school when it might just be like kind of applying a formula you learnt in a lesson or something like this. Competition maths is maybe a bit more similar in that you have to like, prove statements um, and often these can be like quite hard. You're not given much of a hint as to like how to do this, but people often learn like a sort of standard bag of tricks for approaching these as well. Um, And the sort of kinds of problems that you're interested in trying to solve in in competition maths are often fairly easy to state and don't sort of require the same level of abstraction that you see in sort of undergraduate maths, really just because, yeah, these problems are there for people who are still in school to be able to solve. Um, but if you want to learn serious mathematics, it definitely takes like a good amount of like dedication to actually like progress. Another misconception I've come across is that if you are good at maths, then you aren't supposed to have to work hard at it to be successful at any stage in your maths career. Hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, so I think even if we just like 
ignore for now what exactly being like good at maths means. Um, I think, yeah, that can definitely only get you so far. Um, exactly to like what level that gets you kind of depends, but I think, yeah, at some point everyone who continues to study maths will begin to find it hard. I don't really know of like any like uh, exceptions that like research mathematicians find like maths hard. It can be like quite damaging to basically, as you say, just use the fact that you think, oh, like I've been like good at maths and found everything really easy so far to justify like not really having to work hard uh, in order to like continue being successful in some sense. Yeah, I guess especially this could happen like in the transition between like school and undergrad where I guess for a lot of people who like really excel at maths, they wouldn't find the maths in school to be like very challenging, but when they come to university and study maths, uh, suddenly it's a lot more abstract and requires a lot more sort of thought about like the definitions and the ideas of proofs and yeah really without this hard work you can't really make up for it in other ways it's sort of you have to kind of put in the effort to really like not just be able to like apply things but really be able to like understand and to prove things when did maths get hard for you and how did you cope with that mm, so i'm not sure there's like any specific time that like maths got hard for me but like I guess there are some like examples so I guess like Olympiad maths I always found to be like quite hard and I don't think I was like particularly good at it but I guess it also at the same time probably wasn't something I like focused on too much probably the like first time I found like maths like quite hard and I was like seriously sort of studying would be like the entrance exams for undergraduate at Cambridge Maths. So these are called STEP. Um, and yeah, anyone who's taken them will be able to tell you that these are not easy. Um, and so, yeah, really that was something that I had to kind of focus on a lot and just basically over time, as I just spent more and more time trying to do more and more problems, it eventually started to get easier and easier to the point that, like, I can quite often do, yeah, enough questions to, that you kind of need to do to uh, be able to get in. Yeah, going into undergrad, all this sort of increased level of abstraction, that can be, like, difficult to adjust to. And I guess it still is sometimes, like, difficult even now when you learn, when you sort of have like a concept you're familiar with already, but you learn about like a more general concept that sort of is an abstraction of the one you knew before, that can sort of take some time to like process and sort of be able to think in this kind of almost like new language or like kind of think in this new way. And I think yeah, really the best way to overcome this difficulty is like really trying to like like actively think about 
what you're trying to learn and not just sort of learn passively, but like, yeah, try and come up with your own examples, try and like prove theorems yourselves, um, like talking to people about the ideas or yeah, whatever it is. I think, yeah, like talking to people can be a good way to learn more quickly. It forces you to sort of break things down and realize any misconceptions you have, as well as them being able to sort of teach you. And often there are sort of many viewpoints on a different topic or subject. And so, yeah, if you talk to more people, they might have an alternative perspective that can make something more clear. And yeah, often in sort of maths, it can be about sort of finding the right perspective for a problem or an idea. And once you have that sort of right perspective, then suddenly things can like click in your brain and stuff makes a lot more sense. In my own research where sort of unlike undergraduate maths where there's a lot of structure and you kind of you're like almost never given like a problem where the answer isn't really known in research maths this kind of happens all the time and you're the one quite often coming up with the, the problem so you might think well some pattern holds does it hold in this more general setting or does the pattern continue um, and yeah, it can be quite difficult when you don't always know yeah, if what you're trying to prove is even true. It helps to have someone experienced guiding you, which I guess is like the sort of role of a supervisor during a PhD. But yeah, you kind of have to just like sort of trust your like mathematical intuition that you've built up to this point that like you are trying to do the right thing. And sometimes you might have to like abandon something um, even though it might have seemed like quite promising up until that point, it's just sometimes how it goes, or you might just get completely stuck and yeah, have no, no idea. That's quite common, I think. So the feeling that like this happens to everyone should probably like reassure you that like, yeah, like I think probably a lot of people when they start doing research and start finding maths really hard, perhaps for like the first time. They start to like get some kind of imposter syndrome and think that, yeah, they can't be good enough to do that. It can definitely be like frustrating and I've like found this in my own experience. Yeah, try not to let it demotivate you and find ways to like keep enjoying maths. So maybe that's like, I think like a good way is to try and like talk to like sort of fellow PhD students or postdocs or just, yeah, like talk to people about maths that you find interesting or maths they find interesting, which might sort of help keep you like inspired. And maybe also to try to like, not necessarily always be focused on just one thing. If you're only stuck on this one thing, yeah, it can be quite like depressing when you, <laughs> you can't make progress. And progress can often be quite slow in research maths. Um, it's not like, undergrad where like a problem, even the hardest problem, you know, it might take you like a, a day or two. These problems can take you like months or even years. Um, so yeah, having maybe like a other problems you're working on and still making progress on, or just like, yeah, anything where you feel like you're still making a bit of progress, maybe that could be like teaching as well. Um, 
you're still sort of doing something active. Uh, yeah, I think that that can be a good way to help. I feel like another common knowledge gap is how people who seem or are good at maths can instantaneously answer questions because I feel like people often assume that it's just an innate genius and that there's no explanation to it. But I find that in many cases that there actually is an explanation that can be understood by more people than one would expect. Like, I don't know if it's kind of people showing off, but like, I can think of like experiences where like, I might be able to like instantly answer a question just because, well, I kind of happen to already know the like, trick to the question. And so I can kind of like, amazingly give the answer straight away. So like, yeah, one example would be, um, I remember in school, we saw like this integral of sine theta over cos theta plus sine theta. So I think the intended method is to use some kind of substitution for theta and you sort of work your way through it. But I think there's a, like a shortcut if you write, say, call this integral i and call like j the integral of cos theta over sine theta plus cos theta then well, i plus j is just the integral of 1, mm -hmm. so that's going to be like theta plus a constant. And then i minus j, you can realize, well actually the uh, derivative of the denominator is equal to the numerator, maybe up to a minus sign. And so you can sort of write down what like i minus j is and what i plus j is, uh, and then, okay, well, i is just going to be half the sum of those two. So being able to solve, like, yeah, some, like, tricky problem like that, like, straight away, um, yeah, I just remember, like, I could do that because I, because I knew the trick. Yeah, to people who, like, want to show off or, like, yeah, if you don't have, like, much confidence seeing someone like solve a problem like this instantly could like be quite like demoralizing but it might it's not because they're like super smart or anything necessarily it, it can just be like experience solving this kind of problem and seeing the, these methods before like it doesn't have to come from like a, like instant like flash of genius <laughs> right um yeah i think that's uh very grounding advice definitely the first time i experienced an elegant solution was the proof for the infinity of primes from book of proofs i think by erdish mm -hmm. which is a collection of proofs to classic theorems and maths so i was wondering did you have a solution that you encountered that made you feel really inspired one example might be like the income incompleteness theorem sort of telling us like in some sense we can't really like solve all of maths it's kind of yeah like a sort of meta theorem in itself that like is telling us yeah there are like kinds of constraints on what we can prove um and sort of in a similar spirit like sort of trying to find like whole number solutions to equations um for kind of similar reasons we can't also do this in general so I think it's kind of an interesting problem of like, well, which like equations can we actually say something about? And which like equations, is it actually like 
we can prove that it's kind of impossible to say like something about. I think that's quite interesting. And you mentioned that counterintuitive patterns is one of the things that you find really fascinating. Do you have an example? A classic example you meet of during undergrad will be sort of to do with like infinities and so you might initially think that the natural numbers can't be as big as the like rational numbers because well if I try and write down like the natural numbers I try and write down like the rational numbers it's quite it seems kind of like at first like obvious well there are more rational numbers than natural numbers right but then you see actually, well, I can sort of pair them up um, in a way that like to every rational number I like associate to it exactly one natural number. Um, and there's lots of different proofs of this. Um, like for example, the one yeah, where you write down sort of all of the rational numbers in a grid and sort of go around in like a spiral pattern or a zigzag pattern, something like this. But then, yeah, you might think like, well, okay, if the size of the natural numbers and the rational numbers are the same, you start to like question your like intuition. Is there any bijection between like the natural numbers and the real numbers? And then you'll learn like Cantor's proof that actually no, there are different sizes of infinity. You can't find any bijection between the naturals and the reals. And yeah, I think definitely like infinities in maths is sort of one place where any preconceived intuition you kind of have is probably not going to be the right one and it takes some like adjusting to to actually get the correct intuition. I think that's quite like, yeah, it's quite fun to be like surprised by these results for the first time and like I think infinities, I think sometimes like even now if I like learn results about them, um, there are still like sort of surprises there. In undergrad maths, one has to get used to increasingly abstract concepts, whereas in school maths, most things are quite concrete. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could give an example of a particular abstract concept that you had to take time to get used to. Almost on, like, on the first day of like sort of my undergrad, like uh, we were like introduced to the like idea of like vector spaces and like linear maps, and so like. I saw like matrices before and of course yeah if you studied any linear algebra you'll know that like the idea of like vector spaces and linear maps is to try and like generalize the computations of like matrices or do things in a more abstract way in order to prove results more cleanly. Um, but trying to sort of work with those notions and like make sense of them takes like some time to get used to. In undergrad maths, I've noticed that the concept of proof ideas was quite important. In my experience, it's used by mathematicians to remember more convoluted reasons for mm -hmm. why certain things are true. And I was wondering if, Dimitri, you could give me an example of a proof idea in, for example, the first analysis course that you take in Tripos. Yeah, so one example that stuck in my mind for some reason would be, so if you take sequence of real numbers that are bounded so all of the elements of the sequence have absolute value at most c for some c um, then we can always find a subsequence of that sequence so infinitely many elements of that sequence um, that are going to actually converge 
to some real number. Um, and the like proof idea is to just so start with this interval where we know our sequence lives by assumption. And let's just choose, say, like any, any uh, element of the sequence to be the first element of our subsequence. And now let's split the interval into two halves. Um, then, because the sequence is infinite, um, we know that one of the halves of the, um, this interval must contain infinitely many elements of the sequence still. And so we choose the second element of our subsequence to be from one of the intervals that contains infinitely many elements. And then we sort of just keep repeating this process. So now we've got a new interval. We can split this interval into two halves, one of which will contain infinitely many elements of the sequence again. And we let the third element of our subsequence be from the half that contains infinitely many again. And we just keep going by this method. And the subsequence we form will be forced into uh, an interval which is, I guess, 1 over 2 to the n times the size of the original interval we started with. Right. And therefore, for example, I think Cauchy's criterion tells you that uh, the sequence has to converge. So really the proof idea there is to uh, remember the step of splitting up the interval into two um, in order to try and get some smaller and smaller and smaller intervals that are still going to contain infinitely many elements of our sequence um, in order to find the subsequence. And yeah, I think like trying to remember these proof ideas rather than memorizing the proofs uh, is useful for many reasons. So for one, it's a lot easier to remember an idea than to actually remember line by line every step of a proof. Um, and secondly, if you remember the idea to a proof and understand the idea, you can see how this proof can be adapted to different settings. Um, and so if you encounter a problem that's sort of similar to something you've already seen or similar to a theorem that you know, you can think, well, I know the proof to something similar and I can try and adapt it to make it work in the setting I want to. And yeah, a lot of maths is basically done by this experience of understanding uh, results that have already been proved and the techniques used to prove them and then sort of generalizing them or fitting them to a different setting, basically. Awesome. So what do you do in your PhD? My PhD is in an area of maths called number theory. The kind of fundamental questions that we'd like to be able to answer in number theory is sort of trying to solve equations where we want to solve them for like whole numbers, like integers, or rational numbers, like fractions. A famous example of this was the example of Fermat's last theorem, which said that if n was at least 3, then there shouldn't be any solutions to x to the n plus y to the n equals z to the n, where x, y, and z 
are all whole numbers, which are all non-zero. But it turns out that in some cases, there might be sort of fairly elementary and classical techniques for trying to solve these kinds of problems. But beyond that, you really need sort of some more advanced tools to be able to say anything. And really, algebraic number theory sort of developed out of trying to come up with tools for being able to say anything about these kinds of equations. And it's quite a rich and deep subject in its own right. Within algebraic number theory, I'm working on this really big collection of conjectures which come together to be known as the Langlands program or Langlands correspondence. What this tries to do is relate properties of certain kinds of equations, um, such as those given by elliptic curves, to these functions which have lots of, basically lots of symmetries, like modular forms, and sort of generalizations of of this, basically. You mentioned that although ChatGPT can do a lot of things, one of the things it can't do is explain papers to you mm. to aid your research. I think like some things that it's already been trained on, it can like explain to you if you like ask it to, but like if you feed it some new maths and you ask it to like kind of explain to you what's going on, I don't think it's like particularly good at that. At this point, Dimitri and I asked ChatGPT to write a horror story about him and the Langlands program, and this is what it came up with. <gasps> Dimitri was found dead in his office! Look at this! This is ridiculous! This is a horrible idea, I'm so sorry. Write a comedy. You stumbled upon a breakthrough because you sneezed. And I even set up a Laughlands program. <laughs> to celebrate the success. <laughs> That's funny though, though, like, tries to make, like, plays on words when you just, like, asked it for, like, a comedy story. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't, I haven't seen it done that. And he continued to sneeze his way through life. One equation <laughs> at a time. No matter where you are on your mathematical journey, take care of your mental health and be kind to yourself. It's okay to feel like things are hard sometimes, and this is especially for those of you that have never really felt this before. Don't give up. Dimitri says it's normal. If you've been working hard for a while, congratulations, you've developed a skill that's not just useful in maths, but also in life. Keep at it and I'm excited to see where that takes you. If it's been a while since you've done maths and have forgotten about what it's like to study it, but want to support a friend or a child, I hope this episode has given you more insight into what it can be like from their side of things. Accepting that hard work is required is only the first step. The question now is what happens if you get stuck and nobody is able to help? Dimitri and I have put together a list of maths learning resources for each stage of mathematical education and for a variety of goals that one may have in maths. There will be a description alongside each link that will help you figure out whether you can benefit from it or not. Some of these books or websites have been transformative for me personally when I was doing maths in school. And yeah, that's it for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please leave your thoughts in the comment section. Let me know what you'd like to hear about next. Support me on Patreon, listen to us on Spotify, leave a like and hit the subscribe button so you can get notified when our next episode comes along. Thank you so much again and see you next time.